The Weather Lounge podcast is brought to you by Crew Tracker Software. This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. And this podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. I don't have my co-host here with me today, Brad Miller. He's, uh, I think, golfing today or something like that. So, you know, I guess that was a little bit more important than recording a podcast with me. But (laughs) anyway, uh, today's topic is a really great one. It's about how weather affects the military. And I'm pretty excited as I'm joined with an old friend of mine from back in high school, um, Lieutenant Colonel now, Brian Jensen, uh, in the U.S. Army. Um, Weather impacts his operations on a daily basis and more than you would expect from the conversations I've had before this recording. And uh, so enough about me. Um, You know, I'm just the host here. Let's bring in Brian. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Jensen, man, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, Mike. Been a long time since we're battling it out on the football fields. <laughs> I know, I know. I I, re- I even remember that that first day. I think you came into practice, and you know, Brian and I went to high school together. Um, you know, back in Nazareth, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, I remember him coming in and there's all this talk about oh, this kid's coming from California. Like, and we were all like, what, you know, California, like what, what's going on? You're like, this is just, you know, all the kids on the team. I grew up playing like, you know, pee wee football with, or, you know, whatever. And uh, then you came from California and everybody was like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. yeah it, was, it was just much of a culture shock for me from, yeah. The beaches of San Diego to the cornfields of Nazareth. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's 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 again, it's good to talk to you again. And um, um, but hey, why don't you give us a little bit about your background before we get into the real weather impacts on what you do in the military, uh, just to give our listeners a little, you know, sense of of your experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mike. So. Um, Obviously, graduated high school with you from Nazareth, went off to West Point, um, went to the United States Military Academy, played football for Army for a few years, uh, relived those Al Bundy glory days, if you will. <laughs> um, then got commissioned in 05, um, got commissioned as a field artillery officer. Uh, so I went off to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, did about six, eight months there of training on how to be an artillery officer, and then got uh, stationed out in Schweinfurt, Germany. Um, so I was actually in Germany for about eight years. Um, intermixed with kind of year on year off where I showed up immediately. I deployed to, uh, Ramadi, Iraq. So I was there for the battle of Ramadi, um, in 06, in 07. So I was there for about 15 months, um, in Iraq, came back, um, literally was on the ground in Germany for about a year to the day and redeployed again, back to Iraq, this time into Bakuba. Um, so I was outside of Bakuba in a place called South Baldrus and pretty much fought from there pretty much all the way to the Iran border um, and was doing clearance ops out there for about a year, for about 12 months, came back, um, stayed in Germany, did what was called our captain's career course, kind of advanced training, uh, went back to Afghanistan as a battery commander. So I was commanding a couple hundred troops out in East Paktika, um, Afghanistan. So right on the Pakistan border, only about a mile or two off of the border, way up in the mountains up there. Um, did 12 months in Afghanistan there. 
um, let's see, came back, moved to England, um, lived in Cambridge, England for about two and a half, three years, where I was uh, what they call a ground liaison officer. So I was working with the 48th Fighter Wing um, as a ground liaison officer. So essentially I was the liaison between the F-15 fighter jets up in the sky and all of our ground elements um, that were down on the ground. So that was when ISIS was kicking off and some other stuff. So um, went around the world a little bit, was around the Balkans, Romania, Bulgaria, some other spots with those folks. Um, came back for our general staff college at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Uh, so I got to experience Kansas City and Kansas City barbecue for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, that probably was pretty good. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put on a few pounds at the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I probably would do the same if I was out there with all that barbecue. Yeah, and then moved to uh, Savannah, Georgia, um, to Fort Stewart, Georgia, um, uh, with 3rd Infantry Division. Um, went back to Afghanistan again, did another about nine months over there um, with actually our aviation unit, our aviation brigade. So with our Blackhawks, Apache, Chinooks, all that type of stuff. Um, supporting them and some of our special force ops and stuff over there. Um, but finished out my time at Fort Stewart, did another couple of years there uh, as an executive officer, kind of like a battalion commander, kind of a uh, an apprentice, if you will. Not a fun job, but you learn quite a bit, <laughs> kind of in that apprentice role, chief operations, et cetera. And then I've been out in Las Vegas now for about two years um, in June as the uh, instructor for the Joint Firepower course, uh, what we call um, a bunch of other courses. There's, there's actually... Uh, there's a, what's called WIC. It's like the weapon instructor course. It's kind of like, it's actually like the top gun for the Air Force. So speaking of top gun coming out. Yeah. So I essentially helped teach in a few of those courses as well, too. Wow. I mean, especially with that, uh, it, it's interesting when you, when you start talking about F-15s and stuff like that. I know, you know, the Top Gun movie came out over the uh, <laughs> this year and everybody was pumped up about that. I had a good time uh, watching that again. I did watch um, the first movie before the second one came out. And then I saw that you were dealing with F-15s. Now, I know they were doing F-14s and F-18s and, and stuff like that in the movie. But um, I saw that and I was like, wow, that's awesome that you have that type of uh, experience, too. Not exactly flying, but at least dealing with what has to go into that. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I get to work with the A-10s, the F-15, F-16s, a little bit with the F-35s. Um, uh, but actually, it's funny watching Top Gun. Everybody knows Maverick, Goose, Iceman. Everyone's got their call signs. So I guess I got one of the privileges is that I, while I was in England, I got actually my official call sign through the Air Force, went through the whole naming process, convention and all that, the, the fun games that go along with it. So I do have a call sign of Van Dam. So I do go by Van Dam within. Ah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Hell, I, I, it's not Viper, but... No. Or <laughs> but Van Dam is pretty cool. I, yeah. I'd be pretty uh, happy with that one. It's it's not like you had you know some silly call sign, you know. <laughs> that would or be something, yeah, <laughs> yeah, something terrible. Um, but no, I mean that's that's awesome. Um, but the real reason we brought you on was to talk more about how the weather impacts so many things uh, when it comes to the military um, and. I mean, I know it. There, there are a lot of things you guys have to consider. I mean, even when I was at Penn State, uh, going for my meteorology degree, um, I even thought about joining the Air Force and taking the officer's exam uh, to go in there as a meteorologist um, um, to help out in that regard. But you know, for some reason, things just didn't go the way you know I, I thought it was going to go. I mean, I, I went. I had a date to take the officer's exam. 
I got there and my name wasn't on the list for some crazy reason. It wasn't there. And I don't know. And after that, I just was kind of like, I don't know. Is that really what I want to do? And, you know, just kind of funny how things like that happen. But yeah. you're at today. <laughs> what's that? That led to where you're at today, though. So we're, we're good. Yeah. Hey, you know, so I, hey, I'm having, uh, you know, a good time here at uh, uh, Weatherworks. And, you know, we, we provide weather forecasts for, you know, NFL teams and stadiums and, and uh, road departments and things of that nature. And we, we give consultation in that regard uh, for people. So um, that's a little bit about our company and what we do. Um, but so again, let's get back over to the role of weather and, and, and how it affects the military stuff. So, I mean, meteorologists themselves, I mean, in the army, do you have people in these roles as like, officers or something like that that are, are you guys consult on a daily or what yeah so kind of yes and no with that so yes we do we there, there are some weather folks in the army but really we rely on the air force for that um so we integrate with them quite a bit so we have what's called a SWO, a staff weather officer that is actually a uniformed air force officer that will get attached to us um and so we have them at all pretty much all echelons from like um, the brigade levels division levels so kind of our upper echelons and all that but those are those senior staff weather officers um, that essentially are like the meteorologists. They are those trained weather officers. Um, once you get down kind of to the lower command echelon, like kind of more tactical, like troops on the ground level, um, we have our intel officers that are, are trained not necessarily on how to read the weather, get all that, but they get the weather reports from the SWOs and then can brief that and kind of break that down on the effects on our military operations and uh, across the board for us. Oh, okay. So I see. So, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, and the Air Force is kind of affiliated with the Army, correct? Right, right. Yeah. And especially when you're looking at um, like the ground troops and all that is we have what's called an ALO, an air liaison officer, and they come with a tactical air party of a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of their their, uh, their air controllers and stuff like that, or they control like the airstrikes and stuff. So they come and kind of get dispersed and attached to us um, from the ground up. So yeah, we are pretty pretty well integrated, train with them, deploy with them, et cetera. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when when I was thinking about this topic too, I mean, I've seen so many programs about, you know, D-Day and the weather on D-Day and, and stuff like that and how important it was for those, you know, weather officers, you know, to have that forecast correct for that day, you know, and I, you know, and I, and I just thought like, you know, there's probably more that goes into it um, than what anybody would think as a civilian um, on, on all of your operations from, you know, what kind of infantry stuff is going on, you know, what, what you're taking on you with you or what you're wearing, you know, all the way to how it's going to affect something you are, you know, shooting, you know, 18 to 20 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to hit. So, um, but I think maybe if we start a little bit, um, what would be your specialty? Your specialty is ar artillery, basically. It's artillery and like as a fire supporter and all that. Yeah. So basically all things artillery from how to call in the artillery to how to do the calculations to yep, how to actually fire the cannons. <laughs> right. So take us through that a little bit. I mean, since that's your you know strong part, um, I mean, 
how what are you dealing with when you're trying to hit a target that's 20 miles away with one of your artillery pieces like what goes into that i know like the list is probably going on forever and we can like do a whole encyclopedia on how this is done but you know maybe give us a general idea yeah so really you kind of have three different portions to it and um, kind of the middle portion is where weather is going to have the most large, probably the largest effect for us as far as who's really dealing with it is. So at first you kind of have your fire supporter, your person that's actually calling the artillery strike in that's going, Hey, I see the target. I'm going to do what we call a call for fire. So they're doing the radio transmission saying, Hey, basically I need artillery rounds or these types of rounds, et cetera, to hit and impact at this location. Cause I've got this target in front of me, you know, a bunch of enemy tanks, or whatever it is. Then you have kind of the middlemen, which is our fire direction center. Those are the guys that are back there. They're doing all the computations, and they're the ones that are computing what angle to put the tube at, what uh, direction to point the tube in, um, how much powder to put behind it, all that type of stuff. And then that um, comes out with like a message that then gets sent down to the gun line, and then we have our gun bunnies down there, which are the guys that are actually then loading the cannon, put the powder behind it, ripping the lanyard, you know what I mean, and sending that round down, down range, if you will. Um, so while the forward observers will take weather into account a little bit when they're trying to figure out where what, what wind direction is on the ground, if we're going to put out some smoke and that type of stuff, they deal with it a little bit. But those fire direction folks, the fire direction center in the middle piece, they are dealing with it. That is like one of the biggest key things is um, we call it met data or meteorological data. And so when we're looking at how accurately we're firing, one of the first things we look at is if we're not, if we're missing the target is what's the met data? When did we last update our met? So we have, when you go through that training, you have to do, we learn how to do it first manually. So we literally learn how to calculate how much powder, what the, uh, the, the angle of the tube is going to be all that type of stuff. We do it with slide rules and books and tables and calculators <laughs> and hand jam all of that. Um, and they actually give us, they, they give us these meteorological data sheets that would be like printouts or whatever. And that factors in, yes, air, the, the wind speed, the density, precipitation, um, wind direction, like all, all that type of stuff. And it's broken down literally from the ground all the way up to 30, 40,000 feet, um, above, uh, above ground level. So we're taking it and figuring out the met at every different echelon, you know, from, from zero feet all the way up to the top and back down again. Yeah, that kind of runs a parallel almost with um, meteorology um, when you're talking about uh, writing everything out by hand and figuring out by hand first. So, you know, because we actually do the same thing as meteorologists when we're going through college <clears throat> and getting our degree because we go through all of the calculus, all the physics, all the atmospheric uh, chemistry and whatever, you know, to figure out how the atmosphere works and all the fluid dynamics and everything else. Um, now, do I use that on an everyday basis? No. <laughs> you know, that's that's why we have those computer simulations, computer models out there. They run all those, you know, crazy formulas for us to, to tell us, you know, where the storms are most likely to go. Um, so I, I, I understand that parallel there where you're, you're really learning how to make these calculations, you know, but that, you know, might be aided in the, in down the road, but that you really have an understanding on how it works. Yeah. And, and, and it is, it's crazy how far we come. Cause even just in, I've been in for what, 20, 22 years now or whatever. When I first came in um, as artillery officer, we used to have a meteorological session within the army and they, they would literally, they had these giant, I don't know, 
four foot, five foot balloons with a little like weather box thing on about a six feet piece of rope. And they'd run out to the middle of the field and then fly these things up from our operation centers. And that's what would digitally send out all that, that data for us. Um, since then, probably within the last, like say 10 years or so, um, we've got new systems that come out, new technology. So those, those balloons have kind of gone away, if you will. And we just have basic sensors we can, you know, we set out of the air force sends out that pulls that weather data for, for us. Um, but probably like, like you said, it's, it, we had to learn it, how to do it by hand first of all the calculations and how you add in the wind speed, wind direction and how the effects of that round or the effects it's going to have on that artillery round. Now we have, you know, we use what's called a FATAD, the Advanced Field Artillery Tactical Data System, which is basically our computer that spits out all that information for us on how much powder to use, what angle to put the gun at, et cetera. Um, but that MET data now it's all digital, so we can actually get it. So it's literally almost think of it kind of like emailed to us from system to system, comes down to the thing, you just kind of hit update. And the, the our computers update all that data for us pretty much within a minute or so. But wow. um so it's all about speed then, you know, I mean, it's, it's way, which is may, way more efficient than, uh, you know, trying to get your slide roll out and figuring which way we got to aim this thing. Exactly. And I'm sure it's probably the same with you guys too. Like if you know how to do it by hand, you knew all the stuff behind it. If every now and then say there is a technological glitch, you can look at something and go, wait a second. That's not, that doesn't sound right. Like, let me look at what possibly could have that, that effect or what could be going on. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of those situations come up where, you know, we're, we're in a, almost like a pattern recognition mode because you, you look at these models over and over and over again, and then you eventually recognize a situation that looks similar to a prior uh, weather event um, so that you can kind of use your experience to, you know, make those forecasts uh, a, a bit more accurate. And, you know, and then just looking at surface maps and things like that, you know where there's lift in the atmosphere, where clouds will develop, um, you know, where your precipitation is going to develop. And, you know, the, it's just, there's a there's a lot that goes into it for sure. But I mean, yeah, I mean, on your end, I mean, that's, that's, that's really great that it's come that far, you know, that you can now be like, I got it. You know, here's where we're going in a matter of seconds, probably. Yeah. And, and so even now, like we get a brief every morning, like in combat and all that, where our slow, the weather officer will brief, hey, the next three to five day weather forecast that and then goes really in depth onto that specific day or that, you know, the next 24 hours. And so we'll look at it and based off of the weather effects and a lot of other indicators like that enemy stuff is will dictate how often we update that meteorological data in our AFATAD systems and all that. Because sometimes if you're kind of going, okay, Weather's really not going to change at all for the next day or so. It's going to be really standstill. We might not update it every, you know, every four to six hours or something. But, hey, we've got storms, winds, uh, a front moving in, something like that. Hey, we're updating it every hour, every 30 minutes or something, just kind of depending upon the, the situation and everything. Um, so, yeah, all that goes in because when you're looking at it, we're shooting one one round of our 155-millimeter uh, uh, howitzer, well, like a paladin or something, one, one round, 100 pounds we're slinging that thing 20 30 kilometers through the air at up at anywhere from 20 to 40,000 feet or higher potentially um so when we're looking at that we don't work off of degrees so we work off of mills so instead of 360 degrees in the circle we use 6400 mills just to make it that much more accurate <laughs> so just just to show the difference in that is yeah like one mill one difference of one mill at like 10 kilometers is about 100 meters so if you're so if you're looking at how precise we have to be in our calculations, I mean, one of those rounds landing 100 meters off target, that, and especially if we're shooting in close proximity of troops, that could be 
difference between killing the enemy or killing a friendly. So that is how precise we have to go with. So you can imagine just the effects that that weather is having on that round as it's going through the air, whether it's a tailwind, headwind, sidewind, air density, precipitation, all that type of stuff comes into the effects on that round. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about, well, sure, the, the, the winds at the surface could be, you know, five or 10 miles an hour. But then if you go higher up at 30,000 feet, you could be having 100 knot winds up there or, or even more. Um, so it's even it's amazing to me that you guys are able to calculate all those levels and be able to be that accurate on your target i mean is there like a, a a range of accuracy you're looking for or are you like pinpointing this thing or like what's the goal when you're firing at something so yeah we're trying we're trying to we're trying to go pinpoint and get as close as we can off of it now we know um, we call it accurate predicted fire because our when you're slinging that much that heavy of a round and they're when i say they're dummy rounds there's no gps on it there's no satellite stuff on it this is just a standard round that hey we're <laughs> When we rip that lanyard, it's going to go where it goes. So um, we obviously take that really serious when we're going over calculations. So when we're doing everything, we have tolerances of what we're doing, but it's all within plus or minus one mil, you know, one one degree, if you will, or um, yeah, of all those type things. So, the, but the, so the tolerances we have are very very small. Um, but for like a 100, 155 millimeter round, the effective radius, the blast radius is about fifty meters. So we're trying to get it at least within fifty meters of that target. But um, there's a lot of things, again, that go back into it of the accurate target location, as well as obviously the weather effects and the gun location, and you know, all that type of stuff. So. so talking about, you know, launching this thing, I mean, if you have cloud cover or rain or something like that, can you still do this operation or does that kind of shut things down? No. So it is. So that's like one of the things is just like any, you know. Whether it's football, sports, is that everybody kind of jibs and jabs and everybody wants to talk about how they're better than the other team or whatever. So we have even that, that friendly competition within within the Army or within the services in general. So, you know, one of the things that will be funny is that we'll talk with like our rotary pilots, like the Apache pilots, and they'll tell how, how awesome they are. And they've got their Hellfire missiles and they can strike targets and precision and do all this type of stuff. So we just get them back. And one of the things we always get them on is like, yeah, well. We are an all-weather, you know, we're the only all-weather delivery system. So it doesn't matter, rain, sleet, snow, winds, we can fire and put artillery rounds out there where bad weather, those aircraft are going to get grounded. So we, we we can kill any time that we want. You guys have, the weather has to be perfect for you guys. <laughs> well, there you go. So you guys are more versatile. So like, win, you win the argument, hands down, all the time. You. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> my, counterpart, my counterpart, Dan, when he hears this, he's going to laugh. He's an Apache pilot. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, come on, man. He's not here to defend himself, but it's okay. <laughs> Since 2004, Crew Tracker software has enabled snow and ice management companies to save time, money, and resources with their comprehensive digital services platform. All the information needed to plan your operations and make business decisions is current and always available. Along with QuickBooks, CrewTracker software provides seamless integration with WeatherWorks certified snowfall totals. Visit CrewTracker.com to rock your game and learn how CrewTracker software makes managing snow and ice simple. Take advantage of the Sima Show Special $500 discount and White Glove Startup Service offer. Uh, we talked a little bit about the artillery and, and, and how that works. Um, that's one of your specialties. But it sounds like you had a lot of experience in, you know, the infantry and just being, you know, 
not to minimize that in any any way. I mean, so yeah, because a lot of my time actually has been not so much on the gun line portion of it, but as a fire supporter, we the guys that are calling in the call for fire and calling in the targets and all that. Um, that's where the majority of my time has been. And yeah, we get fully embedded with the infantry, with the tankers, et cetera. So we are their, their, their supporters out there with them, rolling with them, et cetera. So um, yeah, I can see those full effects as well too. So as a, you know, a soldier on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, you know, what kind of things are you guys thinking about as far as, is it just coming down to what you're wearing with the the uniform or does it come down to, okay, how much water you're carrying, how much food you're carrying, et cetera? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we calculate all that stuff in and we'll figure out, yeah, based off of the weather, the heat, that type of stuff of, um, we have different heat caps, heat categories, if you will, one through five. And so we'll kind of understand based off of the different heat categories, how much water we have to pack, food, that type of stuff. Um, the uniforms have changed. When I first came in, we had the old like woodland camouflage. We had winter and summer uniforms then. Um, uniforms have changed a few times since then. So really now we have one standard uniform. So um, as far as the heat goes, we really don't have a summer uniform. It's just a standard uniform. We do have um, these like combat shirts that are best, if we will. Think of it kind of like an Under Armour shirt that actually has like a thicker material on the sleeves, but like the chest and everything is kind of like a moisture wicking. So we wear that under our body armor. So it's a, it's a little bit lighter when we're out in the desert and that sort of stuff. So you're not sweating quite as much, or at least you're not quite as hot underneath your, your kit and, you know, 70 pounds of gear and everything. Wow. 70 pounds? Yeah. So somewhere, we, depending upon what you have, y'all have anywhere from, say, light side, 50, heavy side, like 100, 110 pounds, if you will, when you pack out. Um, but so obviously the weather affects all that type of stuff. Obviously, we, when we're looking at rain, what type of wet weather gear, gear cold weather gear for if we're going up, like in Afghanistan. Yeah, we were up there and I think some of the days we we're, you know, minus 10, minus 12 degrees up there in the mountains. We were up at like seven, eight thousand feet. So um, obviously you're looking at cold weather gear and how long you can be out and <laughs> frostbite and all that type of stuff as well, too. So I mean, they 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 all sound like well. I mean, obviously the extremes are are the are the worst. You know, you don't want it to be too hot. You don't want it to be too cold. But if you had to choose, you're out there. You got to run a mis- mission. What are you doing? You going cold? You going hot? <laughs> Oof. Um. Man, I don't know. Maybe hot. I guess. I it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both are not fun. Yeah. Like I'm just envisioning like, okay, I got a hundred pounds of gear on and it's, you know, hundred degrees outside in the desert. And I'm just, I don't even know. That, that, that is not fun. Yeah. The Iraq heat like that was not fun. Afghanistan up in the mountains when it was cold was not exactly fun either. Cause then you just, you're just, yeah, you just got all this, like what you're trying to minimize as much gear, like uh, we call it snivel gear, but like jackets and stuff, you're trying to minimize as much as you can. Cause otherwise you're just, you're waddling around. You can't move because you're. <laughs> it's kind of just so bulk, bulky and you know even with you know whatever gloves you wear you know getting to your uh you know your rifle or whatever must be difficult to do you know if you got some thick glove on you know, how are you gonna <laughs> yeah exactly it's kind of one of those like yeah which is the lesser evil i don't i don't know I, i'd say maybe heat but at the same time because i'm just dumping water on me <laughs> chugging water yeah. at the same time that is also ultra ultra miserable as well too sometimes so so the heat out there in in Iraq, I mean, is it is it more of like a dry Arizona heat? Are we talking about 
you know, something that's more humid. Yeah, no, no, no. For the most part, most of Iraq is going to be have really dry heat and all that. Um, when I was in Ramadi, we had a little bit more humidity right there because the Euphrates River cuts the city in half. So um, we did get a little bit more humidity off of the river and stuff. But for the most part, yeah, it's all desert dry heat. You know, I, I saw a little bit from your notes that there could be issues sometimes with some of the tech you use and, and what the temperatures are and, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, sunset, sunrise and things like that, you know, when you're using, you know, night vision tech or whatever it may be. So, so what's going on there that's just kind of interfering with things? Yeah. So when we're looking at, we've got some new technology, some new night vision goggles, some new thermals and stuff out there that have kind of minimized this. Um, but for a long time, still to an extent, um, we get what's called thermal crossover, which will happen first thing in the morning and then again at night. And um, what a lot of that technology relies on is the difference between heat of targets or, or anything in the atmosphere. So when you're looking out between body heat, uh, animals, plants, trees, shrub, all that type of stuff, they're looking at the differences in heat to kind of help um, lay everything out so you can see through the, through that night vision. So when you get to that point, there's a point where you have a crossover in the morning and in the evening where essentially all of the temperatures almost get mixed up. There's not a large enough, uh, uh, division, if you will, you know, or separation in those temperatures. So everything kind of gets like greened or blacked out, if you will. Um, it's again, we, we've gotten our technology a little bit better, so it's not quite as much of an issue anymore, but it's still definitely there as a consideration to know that, hey, they might be degraded. They're, might not, they're still going to work, but they're not going to be at 100%, you know, perfect capacity and all that. So, um, again, so kind of back to that SWO, that, that weather officer or the intel officer, when they're briefing the weather effects, they will brief, that's something briefed every day, what time thermal crossover is in the morning and what time to expect thermal crossover in the evening. So just so whether it's troops on the ground, they understand when that's going on. Again, our pilots, they know when thermal crossover is going to happen because they're flying and they're flying through night vision and stuff like that as well, too. So, Yeah, I mean, I never would have thought of that, um, you know, to to have that as a forecast parameter. But, you know, I guess it's kind of it goes with everything with with what you're doing and what your needs are, you know, kind of like our clients at Weatherworks, you know, the guy who is, you know, keeping the field nice uh for an nfl football game is going to have different uh things he needs to look at um than some guy who's out you know uh paving a roadway um you know so everybody uses the weather information in different ways and i think that's what's really important here is just you know that's what i kind of wanted to point out is that so many different people use weather in so many different ways and just bringing that to light for a lot of people out there, I think is important. Um, Absolutely. That it's, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like with, within our own forces and all that, from like unit to unit, I can go to um, one of our infantry units, one of our like light units, where that's all they are. Is they're guys that have the rucksack on their back, they got their boots on their feet and their M4 in their hands. So when it comes to say like precipitation and rain, they kind of care about it a little bit, but it's kind of like, you know, the old, hey, if it ain't, ra- if it ain't raining, we ain't training. They're just kind of like whatever, sort of walking through mud, whatever. But say you take that and switch it over to like one of our tank or Bradley, our mechanized units, you know, um, armored unit, depending upon that amount of precipitation, tanks, Bradley sometimes don't do all that good. And like, you know, they'll, they'll make it through mud fine. But if it gets too much, hey, it's been uh, swampy, you know, uh, terrain out there, they're going to look at that a lot differently than, say, uh, a light infantry unit would or vice versa. So there's things that will affect one versus the other. So even that, our weather officers, our intel officers, kind of to your point, um, with Weatherworks, you guys have to change those parameters based off your client. They do the same thing kind of based off the client or unit that they're supporting in the Army as well, too. 
Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we have a lot of, one of our biggest strengths at Weatherworks is consultation. Um, you know, like people call in, they need some information and we take that weather and we give them like, well, hey, you know, it's going to be awful cold for your paving activities tonight. Or, you know, there's going to be too much, you know, too much rain for you guys to be laying down asphalt, you know. So that's what people are asking, you know, and it changes based on their needs. And, you know, it, it's not, you know, I think when people think of weather, a lot of times they think of the the guy on the news, just giving the five day forecast and, you know, what's going on today, tonight, you know, whereas weather forecasts can be used for so much more. Um, and, and it's so much in, you know, to even saving a lot of our clients time, you know, if they're waiting for a snowflake to fall out there and they're out there three hours earlier than it's actually going to fall, they're wasting all kinds of time, you know, but if we could tell them, Hey, this is when it's going to happen. This is when you need to mobilize and get out there. Um, that's just a whole cost savings on their end. Um, but so we talked a little about the foot soldiers. Um, how about you have some experience in aircraft too? And you know, I, you know. Anyway, did you see the new Top Gun movie? I mean, I, did. I saw that last Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it good or what? Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, honestly, I, I want to watch it again. It was it was actually like really good. There's a lot, like anything, I think, you know, you, you watch a movie for, as I haven't been in the military, I'm watching it going, that wouldn't happen. That's not how that is. And then you can tell, yeah, there, there's parts. There, there's definitely, I think, I don't want to do the spoiler, but, you know, there, there is a part in the movie where you can see where it just goes completely Hollywood off track and go, like, what? But, yeah, no, that's not a thing, right? <laughs> I, I was just wondering, are you able to sit there and are you able to enjoy the movie or are you constantly just going like, oh, come on. No, that's not how it goes. No, for that type of movie, I, I kind of break it down. So that type of like Top Gun or some of the other military movies, I know they're going to be a little over the top of stuff. But when I go in there with a the mental mindset of like, hey, this is a Hollywood movie. I can go and enjoy it when Hollywood tries to portray a movie as like, this is exactly the true story of how this went down. I'm like... That's where I get disappointed sometimes. Like that would never happen. That's not how it is. <laughs> like, that's them screwing up and like you know putting false info out. But um, but I will say in the new Top Gun, a lot of the stuff like the brevity codes that they're using on the on the radios, the way they're talking on the radios, a lot of time were all actually like hundred percent legit. Like it was like hmm, that sounds like conversations we actually have on the radio. <laughs> yeah, I know they were trying to do their best to really capture that more, and I, and I think from what I've heard that they were trying to get you know they they shot a lot of those aircraft scenes actually in the yeah, cockpit pulling, yeah, pulling real and everything yeah yeah and they were just because they wanted to be as realistic as possible and no you know fake like guy yeah i'm fighting this you know but it's actually he is because you know there's a navy pilot in the front that's actually you know flying that jet yeah yeah no they did an awesome job with that i like it i really enjoyed the movie yeah, I mean, I I I did too, and uh, I'm just uh, I, I just think of like when weather movies come out too. I, I have the same sort of you know things that you go through. You know, when when a movie like Twister came out in the '90s, you know, I'm like, oh, come on now, that's not how it goes, you know, or um, you know, the day after tomorrow or something like that. It's like, no, that couldn't even happen. It's not even, but you know, it's entertainment, like you said. But you know, back to real life though. Um, you know, when you were that liaison officer, you know, for the F-15s and, and, and so how, how does 
the weather play there? I mean, obviously, you know, you can't do certain things based on, you know, what the weather officer is telling you, correct? Yeah, so they're based on how our aircraft, whether it's like rotary wing, like Apaches, your various fixed wing fighter jets, and even like our ISR, like our the unmanned UAVs, you know, the drones, if you will, um, they all have different parameters based off the aircraft, based off of the type and all that, on whether they can t- they can take off, what they can also land in, because sometimes that also is an effect too that people don't consider is not just what's the weather right now, but what the we- what's the weather going to be like in an hour, two, three hours down the road when those aircraft are checking off, because. It might be favorable weather conditions right now, but hey, we've got a major front coming in. So are these either you know rotary wing or the helicopters or the the, the, the drones? Are they even going to be able to land in a few hours? Because sometimes that might ha- have an effect on hey, we can't, we don't we don't want to take the risk to put them up because there's a chance with this weather front coming in, they might not have have the ability to land because of high winds or crosswinds or that sort of stuff. Um, with the fighter jets, they they can fly through a lot more you know tenacious weather, if you will, same as like any other aircraft. You know what I mean? Even Think like a standard, you know, 747 or something like that. Weather could still be bad, but they could still take off and land in rain or snow and that type of stuff. But it's still stuff they have to consider and look into. Um, some of the stuff that it affects a lot more, though, are the sensors and some of the systems that we have on the various aircraft as well, too, though. Um, so like with the drones, for example, we have what's called FMV or full motion video. So that's what you kind of see on video games or you see in the movies where it's just like that camera that's, you know, that soda straw camera that's looking down at the ground, you know, to get the imagery and everything. Um, so that full motion video does not work through clouds. They have to be below the cloud deck in order to see the ground and all that stuff. So um, that's like obvi- an obvious weather effect that we have. Of what's what, what's, the, what, what's the, the cloud ceiling at? Because if it's too low, we run risks of those things either getting shot down or, you know, spotted or whatever. So that's an effect. Um, certain weapon systems even that we have off of some of our aircraft. So for like the A-10s, they have a 30 millimeter Gatling gun out of the nose of it. So those, those uh, shoots are like a depleted uranium round. So those rounds though, coming out of that Gatling gun, they're not GPS guided. It's just like firing a rifle. It's like firing a machine gun out of it. So they have, again, so if they can't see the target, they have to get down below that cloud deck as well too, to enable, to engage those guns. Um, um, other things, even talking about clouds. So even you're talking about like the F-15s, F-16s, that sort of stuff. So we might have the, the GPS guided munitions are pretty much simple enough. Put in the GPS grids, you know, the codes, that type of stuff. It's going to go to wherever that GPS grid is. But we have what we call LGBs or laser guided bombs. So a lot of times you hear it like in the movies, you know, hey, they're painting the target. They got a laser. They're gonna, someone's got to get in there and paint the target with this laser. So doing that type of stuff, there's a certain amount of time that uh, those munitions need in order to lock onto that laser designator and then find its way to that target. So again, back to that cloud deck and that type of stuff, it has to get below those clouds in order, uh, in able to en- allow it to enable to lock onto that laser. So we have to look at that too, to make sure it's going to have enough time to lock on and, and actually track onto that target versus, yeah, just being a dud and being a giant lawn dart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it sounds like obviously a lot of more, a lot more weather impacts going into the, uh, the, the aircraft missions and than anything else. Like again, you know, obviously your artillery can still work though. Yeah. yeah, yeah but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I always wondered too, I mean, I always wondered how the, you know, obviously things can hydroplane, things like that, you know, same problem here with the, the jets and things. I, 
I took off in rain one time out of Pittsburgh and I was just like, is this cool, man? I mean, <laughs> how, how are we accomplishing this and not like sliding off the runway in one way or another? Yeah. Yeah. So no, like I haven't really seen any issue with that. I think it's, it's the same as kind of like the civilian aircraft. They're coming in like they're heavy enough, et cetera. Once they get through that rain, they'll, they'll, they'll touch down that railroad connect. They might need a little bit extra time to slow down if you will. But, um, but yeah, I really yeah. There, there's I'm sure there is some sort of stuff there. There's some some threshold, if you will, of the amount of rain. But generally speaking, I've seen them take off in all different type of conditions with that. Snow and ice, just a no go then. Yeah, and again, it, it really just depends upon the aircraft and how much and um, where you'll kind of see a lot of la- uh, larger effect for that. Obviously, on the rotary wing, like the helicopters, that sort of stuff. But then also on our drones, on those UAVs, because along with them, they also have issues with because they're flying up there too at 20, 30, 40,000 feet for some of them, et cetera, is they get up there and have issues with icing. So um, some have icing problems too, where they'll start getting um, ice onto the wings of those drones. And some of the drones, yeah, they, if too much icing can be, cause issues with it becoming too heavy and it's going to take it down. Some do have uh, de-icing capabilities like planes do, et cetera. But um, that's also, again, something that's going to uh, we have to take into consideration and look at what type of drones do we have? Do they have de-icing capabilities? What, you know, what are the temps up there? That sort of stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask that question, but you already kind of got there with the drones, you know, and, and if there was any difference between, you know, the larger aircraft to the drones, I mean, is one more capable than another um, to be, you know, going through adverse conditions? Yeah. Yeah. The fixed wing, like our, our, our fighter jets and regular planes, all that are definitely a lot more capable than the drones are. Um, just because again, talk about the size of them and capability with that of, you know, a crosswinds, you know, the crosswinds are going to have a lot larger effect on a smaller drone than they are going to have, you know, on an F-15 coming into land or something like that. So, um, so yeah, winds, temperature, that type of stuff will have a little bit more effect on the, on the drones than they would on the, on our larger aircraft. So you talked a lot about the F-15 and stuff like that, but um, now you were the ground officer, but you never get a you ever get a chance to get in one, or this is that just like a no, you know, you can't do that. No, no, unfortunately, yeah, I was supposed to a few different times, and each time it just didn't uh, didn't get a chance for it to work out to go up as the backseater. So yeah, well, fingers crossed. Uh, one of these days, hopefully, I still get to go back up and. <laughs> <laughs> in the back of one of them so <laughs> i just thought it'd be interesting to uh to to see what it's really feels like i mean i know you know there's been you know a couple of people in media or whatever that's gone up in you know a, a fighter jet and they're pulling real g's and then they you know do the whole pass out thing because they can't handle it um but i was trying to get a little more first-hand experience and i was curious if you had any but no, i wish i did man i wish i did brother but <laughs> I mean, it looks like a blast. I mean, I, myself, I just feel like pulling some of those maneuvers, I uh, probably wouldn't hold my lunch down, no, you know, if you know what I'm saying. I go on my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how. I mean, if I hit some turbulence in a regular passenger airplane, I'm kind of like, eh, <laughs> you know, this isn't great. Yeah, yeah no, I just know that working with them and debriefing, I've seen them when they're coming out of some of their missions like that and stuff too. And yeah, they're just literally drenched in sweat and all that. It's like, man, that was a workout of them pulling all those G's and just trying to, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's why I have to commend a lot of those, um, the hurricane hunters that go into those hurricanes and and they're flying straight into the eye of the storm with, you know, a hundred and, you know, 50 mile an hour winds or whatever it may be. (laughs) And I'm just like, 
you know, we're trying to fly around a thunderstorm, you know, in, in a in a regular passenger, you know, 747, and I'm just like, oh man, this is rough. Like, <laughs> and these guys are just like, all right, I'm just going right through it. And I've seen videos where guys were, you know, if they weren't strapped in, you know, they would be on the ceiling basically. You know, you could see like their if their straps were a little loose, you know, <laughs> they kept rising up out of their seat and down and up and down. And, I, and I'm just going. I'm going, man, yeah, you know, I'd really like to do that for that experience. But then at the same time, I'm like, ah. <laughs> There's still that. I want to know, I want to know 100% certainty. I'm making it through this and I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. Um, but um, so, I mean, I think we covered a lot of the topics, uh, but I'm wondering if there is something that the weather impacts from your experience that maybe might be a bit surprising that you don't even really think about or, or that the, you know, the normal person wouldn't really consider. Is there anything like that out there? Uh, I'm just trying to think right now for the most part, I think most of I kind of hit already, you know, cause we do look at it at the effects and kind of tying it all back together. Like our SWO or Intel officers, they do brief a slide every day and down the left-hand side, because on the top, it'll kind of have the daily forecast, highs, lows, winds, you know what I mean? All that type of stuff, sun by sunset. And then down the left-hand side, you'll have all these different categories from our troops on the ground to our vehicles, to our night vision goggles, to the ISR fixed wing, rotary wing, and have list all that type of stuff down the side. Um, and then I'll have by day and by hour, essentially, like what those effects are. Are they going to be green, amber, red? Are they going to be no-goes? Are they going to have you know any negative or adverse effects? Um, so we hit most of kind of all, all that type of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think a lot of the stuff I kind of hit already with the thermal crossover, um, really it's, it's taking it and looking at when to kind of, if we have an operation coming up and it's not tied to a specific time, you know, certain timeline, um, look at the weather effects and kind of tying it back into yesterday on the anniversary of D-Day and all that too, going like, okay, Hey, whether we do take a huge consideration into it, if we have some sort of operation just like D-Day and you're looking at it going like, okay, we need to make this happen. Well, weather's not favorable right now. Let's postpone it. Let's roll it at 24 hours or 48 hours, whatever it's going to be. Um, so some of that stuff does happen quite often, actually. Um, but then on the other hand, in the Army, like I said, we say, you know, if it, if it ain't raining, we ain't training. So <laughs> there's many gotcha. times, yeah, they slept in many a mud hole and stuff like that, too, where it's like, oh, it's raining and... Well, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a walk in the park every time, you know, you got to get that experience in those horrible conditions so that, you know, you're ready for the next time. Yeah, you just don't ever ever be that guy that says, oh, it could be worse because. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Yeah, the one guy's like, ah, this rain's not that bad. It could be worse. And then a couple thunder cracks and all of a sudden. Yeah. Nah, you know, there's. there's always a thing in our office too, is when we get to the end of the winter, because the winter is our busiest season. um, And we get to the end of the winter and be like, Oh, we're in the clear now. Like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa. What are you doing? (laughs) You know, it is March 1st right now. That is not meaning we're, we're safe by any means from big storms. I mean, we had snow on mother's day and in May a a few years ago. So No, I don't. I don't usually get comfortable until we get to May, and then I start feeling pretty good about you know the <laughs> where we're covering, and, and that winter won't affect anything else. Yeah, um, um, but um, how about one last question? 
what was some of the worst weather that you had to deal with? You know, whether it was in the infantry or, you know, as an officer on the ground or what? So, so the heat in, heat in Iraq was insane. We were up in the 120s. I think heat index were in 130s at times. So that was just nuts. Um, and then you're walking every day on just the asphalt through the city, at urban environment, clearing houses and stuff. That was pretty brutal. Um, I think probably the worst I had, like for an ex- long period of time, was Afghanistan in 2000. This has been the, the 2010, or excuse me, 2011-12 winter. Um, I commanded Cop Boris, so I had guys up at uh, Boris, the little outpost that I commanded. Uh, guys at uh, Cop Zarak and Cop Tillman. Tillman's like we're actually where Pat Tillman uh, lost his life. Um, but we're way up in the mountains again, seven, 8,000 feet. Um, there's really no roads to get to us. The only way to get to us was by air, essentially by helicopter. Um, the winter was the worst winter they'd had in like 30 years or something. So we got snowed in. So obviously we stockpiled all of our fuel, oil, stuff like that to run the generators, food, water, you name it. Um, but the winter was so bad, they couldn't get up to us for several months, um, with any resupply. So we actually had to start shutting down some of our, little rooms where we were sleeping and some of the tentage and move them and consolidate to save on fuel. Um, getting down to like one hot meal a day and we're eating these like meals ready to eat. And I remember we got down to the fact that actually um, we had some local nationals, some Afghans that lived on, lived on a little outpost with us that worked for me. Um, so with them, we ended up set, set, actually no kidding, setting up uh, little snares and traps and they had these uh, snow rabbits, these like wild rabbits up there in the mountains. We actually started snaring and killing some of the rabbits and then cooking those for dinner some of the nights just so we'd have some like hot food. So, yeah, it was extremely cold up there, snowed in. And, yeah, um, when the weather kind of finally broke even, um, they did what's called, I think it's called an LCLA. I forget what it stands for, but it was a special resupply where they had like a C-130 plane filled with like pallets of food and water for us. And they did this like low level flight, like a hundred feet over us. And right as they got over like our little base, like right outside, they literally just went straight up, opened the back of the plane and all these pallets of stuff just came dumping out. And we had like little ATVs and trucks to go secure them and bring them back in. And so, yeah, that weather was just insane. Like, So there you go, guys uh, out there, you know, you, you get a, you get a two foot blizzard, you know, it's going to be cleared in a day or two. So relax. You know, you're not uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jensen here, <laughs> you know, stuck in the mountains, snowed in, no food, um, you know, snaring rabbits. Uh, you know, you don't got to run and get your milk and eggs all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was. That's, I've been cold before. and That was some of the coldest I've I have ever been it was. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up, uh, Brian. I, I really do appreciate you uh, being on our podcast and really giving us some insight on how the weather really affects the military. Yeah, no problem at all, brother. Thank you guys for having me on. This has been awesome and, and a fun talk and all that. Something I don't, I don't really get to talk with anywhere. I don't get to geek out on this stuff outside of work, so... Well, that's good. I mean, you know, but that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. We're trying to bring, you know, all the effects of weather that can happen, you know, you know, just expanding the knowledge on that and and, and how people use it and how they deal with it. So, again, thanks a lot for being on the program and, uh, you know, might have to invite you back next uh, another time. Anytime, brother. My pleasure. Love to do it again. 
Okay. All right, everybody. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening. Remember, we'll have a new podcast every two weeks here on the Weather Lounge. And also, please rate the podcast. This helps push our show forward. And don't forget to visit WeatherWorks on social media. And as always, find us at weatherworksinc.com. That's all for this episode. And thanks for joining us.